Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy misconceptions, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode four, a bonus episode for the month of September. I'm putting it out on September 10th and 11th, which, besides a fairly important anniversary in the United States, is also a timely date for the purpose of this particular episode. The topic that I'm going to give a short discussion on is that of Comet Elenin. Now, before I go into it, I want to briefly talk about bonus episodes such as this being the first one. Now, I've decided that I'm occasionally going to put out bonus episodes, which will happen at odd intervals, will be a varying length, and will only include the main segment, the main topic. With that said, let's move on to Elenin. Now, the basic idea that I want to address is that common Elenin is supposedly some portender of doom and gloom, and maybe a herald of 2012 over the Hopi Blue Star prophecy or something else. The basic background information is that this object is a comet. You may hear otherwise by conspiracy people, in fact, you will later in this podcast, but it's a comet. It was discovered by a Russian mathematician and amateur astronomer Leonid Elenin, hence why it's called Comet Elenin. It's an unremarkable object, estimated to be about 3 to 4 kilometers across, and it's currently in the inner solar system near its closest approach to the Sun. The closest it's going to get to Earth is about the distance of Venus, 22 million miles or 35 million kilometers. Pretty far away, that's it. And it may not even get that close because it appears to be breaking up as of early September and may not survive its closest approach to the sun. There's really nothing much else to say about it as this kind of object has been seen many times in the past several years, indeed the last hundred years or so, but for some odd reason that I have yet to understand, people have been regressing in mentality by about 5,000 years. That said, I'm going to go into two sets of claims. What really uh, Leonard Elnin stands for is um, uh, a meteor shower that comes out of the constellation of Leo. Okay, Leonid is actually Leo with a with a meteor shower, and then Elnin is actually stands for extinction level event. Nibiru is near. That particular clip comes from the Seven Theory Ministries, and I'll be posting links to all of these YouTube clips on the show notes on the website. Now, it's an interesting set of claims. I don't know Leonid Elenin, so I can't honestly vouch for him being a real person. However, I've seen pictures of the man purportedly to be him, or that are purported to be him. He looks real enough, but seriously, if you don't believe that the guy is even real, then you've stepped into a level of conspiracy from which I cannot pull you out. I suggest that you turn this off now because you may cause harm to your aluminum foil hat. Now, for those of you who are still interested and who are still listening, I'll get into Nibiru in a later podcast on the whole Planet X in 2012 phenomenon, but suffice to say for now, Nibiru is the name of a hypothetical 12th planet proposed by the now-dead Zachariah Sitchin, who created his own translations of Sumerian tablets in order to come up with this. The idea has been heavily adopted by the 2012 crowd, which is why I'll be talking about it more extensively in a future episode. Now, this next set of clips that I'm going to go through in this grouping of claims of random stuff is from the RT America YouTube channel. And joining us now for more is Brooks Agnew, host of X Squared Radio. Brooks is also the author of this book, Remembering the Future, the Physics and Soul of Time Travel. 
Some might accuse me of poisoning the well by interjecting here, but I really should note that Brooks Agnew is also a person who has, for years, stated that the Earth is hollow. And if only he has a few more hundred thousand dollars, he could lead that North Pole expedition he's been trying to get together for at least the last five years in order to prove that it's the entrance to the hollow Earth, which can only be reached when you are spiritually attuned. More on that in a future episode. Anyway... What do you think are some of the most viable, maybe one or two of the most viable theories out there in terms of what we should be aware of regarding this comet? Well, what we should be aware of is that the, the projections by JPL of its actual path uh, are, are highly estimated. There are a lot of forces working on this comet as it travels through our solar system from a very odd angle, and not all of them have been calculated. So we're kind of making a guess as to where this thing is going to end up. This may have been true when Comet Elenine was first discovered, but in actuality, you only need three observations in order to calculate an orbit. Since it was first discovered, this comet has been observed literally tens if not hundreds of thousands of times, and we know its orbit pretty darn well, at least around now and for the next several months. Claiming that we don't know where it's going to end up is just wrong. In another segment, Agnew makes claims that relate more to the whole 2012 mythos, something that I'll be addressing later in future episodes, several future episodes, so I'm not really going to get into that much here. Now, in another YouTube video, we have this. This video is being made to help people wake up to what is coming later this summer in the Elenin Comet slash Dwarf Star. Now, I don't think I really need to go into the whole conspiracy mindset here, but I did think it only fair to introduce this next series of clips with this person's motivation to help us. With that in mind, this sets us up for a longer clip, and this is probably the longest clip I'll be including. It's one that addresses a lot of what people are claiming. In this, you're going to hear about earthquakes and brown dwarfs and black holes in a totally unracist way. Minsure Amar Basich came out with this paper on April 11th called Astronomical Alignments as the Cause of Magnitude 6 Plus Seismicity. In his paper, he included the Elenin Comet because of the pattern of big quakes, which is impossible for an icy mass. By definition, a comet is supposed to be 85% ice. Anything that is this large with this mass must be visible. And the astronomers that are in my groups are having very much difficulty in seeing this thing. So there's a problem with the data according to what we're supposed to see. One problem is that on an alignment on February 27, 2010 in Chile, 8.8 .8 quake, the Earth aquifer shifted. The Earth axis shifted three inches. The next year, Japan quake on March 11th here we have another alignment and look what look what happens earth axis shifted four inches earth aquifers in Florida and Texas shifted which is pointing to a large object something of great mass we're talking about something of great mass bigger than Jupiter but for some reason can't be seen as stated in the radio show there's a very small classification of objects that can be inbound causing this seismicity 
that's invisible. One of them is a dwarf star, another is a black star or a black hole. That's a very short list. I tried to warn you that there was a lot of stuff in there, and there is, so let's try to deconstruct it. Now, the basic claim is that Elenin was causing, or is causing, or has caused, or will cause earthquakes. Therefore, it must be massive. But it's also faint, so it must also be a small object. Therefore, it's a dead star coming through. When that dead star makes certain alignments, bad stuff is going to happen. First, the earthquakes. The person mentioned, which I'm going to stumble over the name just as poorly, uh, Mensur Omer Basic, something like that, is such a crank that Rational Wiki has its own page about him, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Basically, he does what a lot of other earthquake, quote-unquote, predictors will do, which is to look for anything astronomical that was going on when there was an earthquake, and then say that that was the cause. He was also actually fairly unknown until he started to write about common Elenin causing earthquakes, which rocketed him up in the pseudoscience stardom list. With that said, his ideas lack any credibility whatsoever. Alignments such as those suggested, and those that I'll talk about later on, can't really do anything that he thinks that they did. And therefore, it's not evidence that Elenin is incredibly massive, and therefore, there's no evidence that it is a dark star. If it were a star-sized massive object, then it would perturb the orbits of all of the planets and the asteroids to the point that it would be easy even for an amateur astronomer to take notice. But that has not been the case. Much ado has been made about supposed alignments on special days with Elenin. Now, I'm going to address a few of those in the next set of claims, the scenario proposed by Richard C. Hoagland. Now, I'm going to do a show, possibly multiple shows, in the future about Richard Hoagland, but for now, for those of you who don't know, Hoagland basically made his name with the whole Face on Mars pareidolia, and it's his habit to take low-resolution images, blow them up to astronomical sizes, and find conspiracies in the noise and pixelation. He has also invented a whole hyperdimensional physics that, as I said, I'll get into in a future show. What you need to know about this hyperdimensional physics is that it's really big on numerology, and that 19.5 is a very important number in his hyperdimensional framework. Now, one more thing about Richard Hoagland is that he talks a lot. He will interrupt you, he won't let you interrupt him, and he'll even speak through commercial breaks. Hence, the clip that I wanted to play for you is about 10 minutes, which is actually fairly short for him. Instead, I'm going to play small parts of it and go through his claims individually as they come. I can actually calculate the probability that this whole thing is just by chance. And what you do with probabilities, you take the probability of any individual coincidence, and then you multiply it by the probability of the next coincidence. Okay, so we have the basis for what Hoagland is going to say that the basic premise for this being a non-random event, and therefore a spaceship, has to do with the probabilities of unlikely events. Let's listen. How do I decide what the probability of of Leonid Elenine discovering Comet Elenine at 19.5 magnitude would be by simple chance? Well, the brightest comet ever observed by, by astronomy was Ikea Secchi in 65. That was 17th magnitude, minus 17. The dimmest comet 
ever observed is Halley with Hubble in 2003 as it's moving way out toward the outer part of its orbit now after passing close to us in 1986. That's at plus 28.2 magnitude. So the total range is 45.2 magnitudes. So the chance odds of discovering a comet at magnitude 19.5, that's plus 19.5, is 1 in 45.2. <laughs> okay. There are a few things here that, right off the bat, are simply factually wrong. But first, a quick explanation of the magnitude scale. The magnitude scale is that lower numbers are brighter and bigger numbers are fainter. The sun is around negative 26 magnitude, as seen from Earth, while Pluto is around plus 13. It's also a logarithmic scale, where every change of 2.5 in magnitude is a change of a factor of 10 in brightness. So a magnitude 0 object is 10,000 times brighter than a magnitude plus 10. Now on to the wrongness. Comet Ikea Seki, and I apologize to the 0.1% of my listeners who are from Japan, it reached its brightest point at magnitude negative 10, not negative 17. But besides this, comets are not discovered at their brightest. They're discovered usually when they're in the positive teens of magnitude, like around the brightness of Pluto or some darker asteroids. This is the same case with Comet Ikea Seki, which was discovered when it was a faint object on September 18, 1965. This is really a fairly basic fact in astronomy, and I'm surprised, I'm literally surprised that Richard is making such a wrong statement. I mean, he makes so many other wrong statements that it really wouldn't have been much to have this one be correct, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, it's true that finding a comet at plus 19.5 magnitude is fairly impressive because that's a pretty darn faint object. Now, it's not unprecedented, and it's also not as though Elenin was using a backyard telescope. He was looking at images from a world-class observatory. In order to figure out the odds of discovering the comet at such a magnitude, you would need to look at a histogram of at what magnitudes other comets were discovered. I'm not going to go into that much effort for this, but it's likely somewhere like a 1 in 5 chance maybe 1 in 10 if we want to be generous to Richard, but it's really not a 1 in 45.2 chance. That's just kind of silly. I mean, why not a 1 in 452? After all, he could have discovered LN when it was 19.4 magnitude or 19.6 magnitude instead of 19.5, but Richard is sort of rounding to integers. It just doesn't make any sense. So here's the next one. Um, if you multiply, I mean, let me get this in sequence here. All right. The the odds of of Elenine actually visiting the Earth in any one period of time, in other words, any one particular day, um, is basically uh, one in, in three sixty five, right? Should. Why is the closest approach? On September 11th. 
Now, this whole thing with the odds of something happening on a particular day really bugs me. It's actually kind of the same issue I have, or one of the issues I have, with the whole global consciousness project thingy that I'll link to in the show notes, but that's an issue for a different podcast. In this case, what's supposed to constitute a significant day? Obviously, Richard thinks that the anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks in New York is a significant event. And I would agree with that. But what about Christmas? Thanksgiving? V-Day? D-Day, Pearl Harbor Day, Election Day, Mother's Day, Bastille Day, Guy Fawkes Day, Boxing Day, Cinco de Mayo, Dia de los Muertos. The point here is that you can really just pick a day, any day, and find something significant that happened on it somewhere in the world. I suppose it also bears pointing out that Comet Elenine's closest approach to the sun is on September 10th for the vast majority of the world and not September 11th. In terms of odds for this claim... We're at one to one for this, that he'd be able to find something significant, not one in 365. Now, if you pin it down to the fact that it's the 10th anniversary, it's not nine years, it's not 12 years after our 9-11. It's the one 10. Us, you have to multiply that by 10. You see how this rapidly begins to escalate up? I suppose I could have simply combined this with the previous claim. But regardless, making a 10th anniversary a 1 in 10 odds is, again, just making things up. Why not say that Comet Elenin may have come at any time in the next 100 years, so the odds of it happening this year are 1 in 100? Or, if it happened in the first 5 years after September 11th, 2001, the odds would be 1 in 5 of it happening on the 5th anniversary. Again, we're kind of still at one-to-one odds here on this claim, not one in ten. Elenine approaches closest to the Earth on October 16th. Remember, it's now approaching the sun. It'll turn around the sun in a hairpin turn. That's the way gravity Mm -hmm. and Kepler's laws work on the 10th, 11th. And then here it comes. Then it'll be moving toward the Earth. We're moving toward it. It will cross our bow 22 million miles away on the afternoon, uh, evening of October 16th at 19 hours 50. Oh, come on. No, serious, right in the ephemeris. The odds now are up to 230 million to one against chance. With all those 19.5. For Hoagland, again, the magic number is 19.5. I'm not really going to go into why 19.5 is important in this particular episode. Really, all you need to know is that for him, it's important. And that's also why this whole magnitude of discovery at 19.5 was big. Anyway, he harps on 19.5 because the closest approach to Earth happens at 1950 hours GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, in October. The only problem is that 1950 hours is 19.83, not 19.5. So now let's actually give him this, but use his 20-minute window because he's 20 minutes off. But you could be 20 minutes off in either direction, so you actually have a 40-minute window out of 24 hours. But you could be in any one of the numerous time zones around the planet. In fact, some aren't even on the hour, some are on the half hour. But we'll go with the hour ones. And so really, you're looking at a 40-minute window in a 60-minute period, odds being 2 in 3. 
Multiplying this all up with the first claim, we have a 2 in 15 to 30 chance of Elenin being unique according to Richard Hoagland's criteria. An inclination to the orbit of the Earth of 1.84 degrees. So I look at that and I say, hmm, what are the odds that a random interstellar visitor will have that specific inclination? And I do a simple calculation. There are 360 degrees in a circle, right? Yep. You simply divide 360 by 1.84. The number that the calculator will spit out, 195. You have one chance in 195 of that coming up by chance. Well, as you may have guessed it, not really. Here we have another case where his magic number isn't quite so magical. 360 divided by 1.84 is 19.565217 and so on. Rounding, it's 196, not 195, nor 19.5. Besides this, though, his math is wrong. It should be 90, not 360 that he divides into. The reason is that astronomers measure inclination angles between 0 and 90 degrees. If you're above 90, then you just measure 0 to 90 in the other direction. If you're below 0, or below the plane of the solar system, then you use 0 to 90, just in the other direction. So 90 divided by 1.84 is a 1 in 48.9 chance that it would be at or below a 1.84 degree inclination relative to Earth. But that doesn't really mean much. Earth and most of the other planets orbit within a few degrees of the same plane. Same with the asteroids. Same with short period comets. Long period comets, like Elenine, can get up to much higher inclinations for reasons that I'll discuss in the next episode and the solution to the puzzler from the last episode. But really, to nail down a probability of having a long period comet enter with this inclination, we need to look at another histogram, in this case, of the inclinations of all long period comets. Just like we need to look at a histogram of the magnitudes at which comets were discovered, in order to determine what the odds are of it being discovered at 19.5 magnitude. However, I have a feeling that regardless of what comes out, Richard would find some reason to give it a low odds of happening. Hence, again, I'll give this claim even one-to-one -one odds of him finding something significant in it. We're now up to one chance in 45 billion, with a B, that this thing is accidental. In other words, all of these orbital parameters, the numbers, not me, the numbers say this thing has been designed. In the end, Hoagland has a one in tens of billions of chance of this happening. My math is still one in 15 to 30. How many comets do we see in an average year? Well, it varies, but somewhere around roughly 10-ish. So, given two years or so, we'd get a comet with similar odds of being unique as Comet Elenin, based upon my very rough math. Elenin is listed by JPL as a hyperbolic comet. What does that mean? It means it's never been here before and never will be, will be here again. It's gone. It's gone. It's, it's a one-of. You know, it's a one-of-a-kind. In fact, what's so bizarre, if you start doing some study of astronomy, 
In the entire history of astronomy, George, there has never been a hyperbolic comet recorded and verified by all of astronomy, ever. The final claim, though it doesn't actually factor into his whole tens of billions of probability thing, is that it's the only comet ever discovered with a hyperbolic orbit. Now, I don't know where he's getting this, since my source, NASA, and again, I'll have a link in the show notes, says that there are at least 258 known comets with hyperbolic trajectories. Look, folks, the bottom line here is that Comet Elenin is a basic, run-of-the-mill, non-spectacular object that isn't going to do anything. That's the science. That's the science based on all observations and modeling that have served us well for the past few hundred years. It's really that simple. And with that said, that about wraps up this off-day bonus episode. And since it is a bonus episode, I'm not going to be doing a puzzler. I will be discussing the solution to the last episode's puzzler during the next episode on September 16th. Speaking of which, I'm headed out of town for a conference September 13th through the 17th, but there will be a new episode uploaded for September 16th. That wraps up this topic for this fourth bonus edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email and appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. If you like this podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes. Thank you.